Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the GameDev.TV Community Podcast. I'm your host KB, and this podcast brings you the audio experience of GameDev.TV. Now, let's get right into the podcast. So Jacob, just introduce yourself a little bit, and then we'll go from there. Um, okay, um, I am Jacob from NG Studio, uh, me and Taylor started the business in like 2015, I think. Um, we started out making asset packs for the Unreal Engine Marketplace and uh, did that for a couple years um, to like 2017, I think. And um, then we decided that uh, the Marketplace wasn't going to be viable much longer because it was just getting flooded with so much stuff. So we decided to make our own game. Um, we thought it would take a year, but it ended up taking like two years. Dang. Um, so, is that the spirit of the north? Yeah. Hey, it's a great game. Thank you. So, how did you get started in like making that game? Um, we went to a conference called ECGC. Um, it's the What's East Coast okay. East Coast Game Developers Conference. Um. It's basically like GDC, but for the East Coast, um, it's way smaller, though. Uh, and we went to that, and we had already started talking about wanting to make our own game at that point, and um, we intended, like, some of the talks. We had VIP access because we were doing, like, um, portfolio reviews for students at the time. So we went to, like, some of these talk things, and um, I don't know, it just kind of inspired us to you know, go all in and, and make something complete, you know, from ourselves. Um, instead of trying to, you know, be a middleman and, and do contract work and all that kind of stuff all the time. Um, and, uh, uh, we knew right away that we wanted to be able to, we wanted the player to be an animal. Um, I don't know why it's just something that we've always, thought was cool like a cool idea um and it's not done a whole lot i mean it's not it's being done more now but um uh, you know it's different why a fox um we were trying to decide at first we tried um we were thinking like either a raccoon or a fox because i don't know we just we like those animals um we ended up deciding on a fox because it just seemed like there was more that we could do story-wise with the fox, especially because there was some like folklore about foxes um, that we ended up using for Spirit of the North story. And um, it just kind of tied in with the rest of the game that we wanted to make. Uh, and, you know, not having any dialogue and stuff like that, it felt like that would make more sense if you were, um, you know, like an animal. Mm-hmm. And not and not a person that, that just didn't say anything. So nice, yeah. So Infuse Studio is is that just you and the other guy, or is it a bunch of people? It's just me and Taylor. Um, Taylor, okay. yeah. And you started that in two thousand. You said fifteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How has that been doing running the studio? Um, it's been up and down um it just trying to figure out like what's our next step is is definitely the hard part when it comes down to it um you know like things pan out for a while but then it's like you know with the marketplace we had to do something else we had to do you know we had to make a decision um and but being on having our stuff on the marketplace did give us some passive income to put towards the development, you know, paying for software, stuff like that. Um, So that it helped out a lot and it gave us a lot of experience um, creating environments. I mean, we already had experience before, but it gave us more experience. You know, every pack that we made got, we got better um, and got better working together also. So. Mm -hmm. These, so I'm looking at some of your acid packs and they're, they're really nice. Like the Victorian and Egyptian temple, 
M4A1. Yeah. So how long were you guys doing those asset packs? Was it like a couple years? We were doing those for two years. Um, so before me and Taylor started working together, I worked at Epic for a year um, as a contractor. Uh, I worked on the Marketplace team um, and also worked on the, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called um, A Boy and His Kite. Uh, it's when they announced mm-hmm. that Unreal Engine would be free. Uh, I worked on that project, and and then our team got split in weird ways and stuff. And um, mm. I got moved to the offsite building, which sucked. So it was like mostly QA there. But um, for the, as far as my marketplace duties, I was the person like any submission that came in, mm. I would look over it and and say yes or no, like this meets our quality standard. So I was the person that did that. And then after. After I left there, the quality of everything went down. So. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And then so you're the uh, environmental artist, right? Yeah. Um, your friend is he the is he the programmer of all of it, the game? So me and Taylor are both primarily environment artists, and mm-hmm. um, he but he did most of the programming in um, blueprints. Like there's. Like all the gameplay programming is done in blueprints in Unreal Engine. Um, the only That's code, amazing. yeah, the only code is um, from plugins that we had to use. Um, we had to use a, a fur plugin called GFur, and we had to use a plugin for asynchronous saving and loading um, because for some reason Unreal Engine doesn't support that out of the box um, for mm-hmm. consoles. It's really weird. So basically what yeah. that does is like when you like when on the console when you would go through a checkpoint, it would like it would basically hitch the game until it, it finished saving and then you would keep going after that. But with with that plugin, you're able to just seamlessly go through that and it saves, you know, without the user, you know, just sitting there staring at a frozen screen for a second. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, so it it was definitely a challenge to to go from just being artists to, okay, now we need to be like all of these roles. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's tough, and it's time consuming because you said it's gonna yeah. take a year, but it took two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a lot of people understand. How did, how did you get started with your the Unreal development, learning like the C plus plus or blueprints, whatnot? Um, you, know, you worked for Unreal, but did you have a background in software development prior? Oh, um, so my education, I went to um, Living Arts College in North Carolina. Um, they're a really small school. I went for game um, game development. And Taylor, he, he has a business degree and minored in architecture. So that's how he got into the like kind of 3D stuff was architecture programs. And he just was like, you know, I want to do this for games. And um, so... That's how he got started with that. But as far as getting started with the programming, it was just learning. It was just looking at tutorials and tutorials and figuring out like what, how stuff works. And he's way, way better at blueprints than I am. Um, he can he can pick up just about anything and learn it. Um, he's really, really smart, way smarter than me. So nice. Yeah, yeah I wish I was like that. Just be like, click of the fingers, and boom, I know everything. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I know. It's, but um, but with Blueprints, it's amazing how you can create this game, release it on the PS4, all done in Blueprints. Because a lot of people have this conception that just because you don't do it in C++, it's not going to be a good game. You won't be able to make something for PlayStation. But here you go. You got a Spirit of the North on the PS4, and it looks amazing. Yeah. Um, it's definitely probably a lot more difficult to do it that way because there's a lot of things that um, you just like you know if you understand C++ you can go into the engine source code and and figure out okay this is calling this this is doing this like you can figure all that out yourself whereas um, just only doing blueprints uh, it limited us on a lot of things like you know the saving like I was talking about mm-hmm. it limited us on being able to figure out how to actually do um, builds for multiple regions. So we released sure. in 
North America, South America, Europe, and all those regions. And we had to do two different builds for for each region. So there's two two regions for PS4 that we released for. It's SIEE, which is Europe, and SIEA, which is Americas. And um, so we had to have two different versions. I mean, it's basically the same game, but we just had to have two different builds. And to do that, you have to like modify the engine code and stuff like that. Um, otherwise, you have to have like two versions of the project to build from, which is not ideal. And to do that, we um, I got really lucky and happened to know this guy named Max. He um, worked at Epic as a programmer for a long time, like ten years, I think. And uh, he, you know, he he knows how to do all that, so he hooked us up. Um, and we really wouldn't have been able to release the game without him, honestly. Oh, really? Of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now for any students of Blender or environmental art, how would you say they can get started in releasing their own like game assets onto the Astor, uh, Unity or Unreal Store? Um, I would say just pick something that, like, you know, find, make a mood board of things that you really like, um, you know, concepts that you really like from good artists and um, then kind of put your own spin on it, like what what you like say. I want it to look have this kind of look, but also like merge this into it and make it your own, so that you're not just copying something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you know just go all in with it. Um, and if if it turns out good, you know if it t- turns out really good, then you can put it on the store. Um, and it'll it'll help you learn, you know, modularity. It'll help you learn um, managing your assets. You know what what you should spend a lot of your time on. Uh, not everything needs to look like a hero asset. You know, walls and everything. So it's um, it's definitely it definitely helps you learn. Like, okay, so you know you can look at like a picture of a real life place and and face and and say, okay, so that's a piece, that's a modular piece, that's a modular piece. You know, you can break it down in your head and make a list of the assets you need. How long does it take you to create an asset pack? Um, we got pretty good at it. It started taking us about a month, um, <laughs> a couple months uh, for some of them. Some of them were more difficult than others, like the sci-fi pack um, and the... The castle pack was our first big one, so it was think that think that was our second pack we ever released, and it was our first really large scale. I think it's really our only large scale um, environment pack, and um, it yeah it was it was difficult you know trying to figure out how big should these modular pieces be for for mm-hmm. something that big. Um, so a lot of back and forth. So when you were making it, you did it in Maya. Have you guys started using Blender, or you still do Maya? Um, we we use Blender. Um, we also use Maya and 3ds Max. Um, it just depends on what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Taylor, Taylor primarily uses 3ds Max, and I I mainly I, I use Maya sometimes for animation stuff, you know, tweaking um, animations and stuff like that, because it's just better for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really I like Blender. I'm not the greatest at it though. I, I should I should try to get better at it, but um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's getting better and better every release that's coming out. And I think it's coming yeah. to a point where it's competing with Maya and 3ds Max, but still not there yet. But, but almost, maybe even almost better. Now, um. When you started learning, what was your learning process like? Um, learning about what specifically? Um, environmental art. Or okay. Um, assets and stuff like that. So the stuff that I learned, the stuff that I learned in college was honestly outdated by the time I graduated, um, because this I graduated around the time that Substance Painter and Quixel were coming out. Mm-hmm. And that those two programs changed everything in every way. Um, you know, just, I mean, before that in college, we were making textures in Photoshop. I mean, you don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, right. So everything that 
I had kind of learned from there, besides just the basics of modeling um, and UVing and stuff like that. I mean, I, you know, I had a good grasp on that um, from 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 college, but the texturing side of things was everything had to be thrown out and you know learn this new stuff. Um, and I actually wasn't a fan of subst substance until Taylor came along and we started working on this um, indie game together as, and that didn't pan out, but me and him really liked working with each other. So that's how we started making asset packs. And, and um, I was using Quixel and he was like, you need to try out substance. It's really cool. And, and I was like, I don't know. And he like, you know, showed me it. And I was just like, okay, this is better. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Nice. Really? Like, what have we missing out this whole time? Yeah. Now, do you have any tips you would give to starting artists today? Um, I would say a really good thing that really wasn't around when I was in college is just, I mean, there was Unity Asset Store, but there wasn't any Unreal, and I was more f interested in the Unreal stuff um, from the get-go, you know, uh, and I would say that just go on there and download free packs. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good free content on there that's curated. A lot of it's from Epic themselves and just look at it and dissect it and be like, okay, this is how they made these pieces and this is how they lit the environment and, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. I wouldn't go as far as to looking into their materials so much because their materials can get pretty crazy. Um, like, really, really crazy. <laughs> but um, their overall presentation and everything, you can just really learn a lot from just opening up something and, and dissecting it and be like, okay, so this is how, you know, kind of how I should do what I need to do. Um, mm -hmm. It's a really big resource and just getting in there and, and, you know, messing around with like, you know, their piece, their pre-made pieces and level designing, you know, just like a little, you know, 30 minute scene and, you know, seeing what you can do with the pieces that they provide, and it's it's really valuable to to do that. It helps save you a lot of time in the in the asset creation process if you have a good understanding of what modular pieces you're going to need. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And as far as software goes, like you know, it doesn't really matter what software you use to model as long as it looks good. It's got good topology. And the UVs are laid out decent. Um, UVs don't even really matter as, as much as they used to. I mean, especially since, you know, substance and whatnot. Because I mean, it used to be like they had to be laid out perfect so you could texture stuff in Photoshop. But it's not like that anymore. Um, and, you know, as far as what you like to use for um, texturing, I mean, substance or Quixel are honestly the two biggest options and either are fine as long as you can you know get something that looks good out of it and a decent time so uh, yeah. I would say don't don't stress uh, you know nailing down which software is exactly you're gonna use you know play around with them and figure out which ones you like and what gives you the results you want so yeah, yeah. no I agree just play around a little bit get your hands dirty and, and you'll, mm -hmm. you'll start to get better yeah yeah practice now, with the whole thing, do you think college is necessary because everything goes outdated, or is online courses a better alternative? What do you think on that? Um, so, I'm sure, I mean, there are a lot of colleges that are way better than the one that I went to. Um, like, uh, you know, Genomen is, for an example, is an amazing one, and there's like Full Sail and think that there's some college in Canada, I can't remember the name. I mean, you know, there's these like top tier artist schools that you're gonna know, like, you know, the industry standards when you graduate, you know, the modern industry standards, you're gonna be up to date when you graduate from yeah. those places. Um, unlike where I went, the professors were just, all of their stuff was, their knowledge was outdated. So uh, it was, you know, bad from the get go. Um, which I didn't know that until I, you know, graduated and, and was looking at other people's demo reels and stuff. And I was like, how are they doing this? And, <laughs> you know, um, 
turns out that it was all this new software that was coming out that was, you know, in beta and everything and just made everything so much easier. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say that, I mean, college definitely, you know, got me a good handle on, um, you know, modeling and unwrapping and stuff like that. I think that I'm definitely a faster uh, 3D modeler than Taylor is. It, you know, he didn't have that traditional um, college education for that. So, uh, I mean, I can whip up, you know, quick work in progress models super quick and, and it takes him a while. So, um, but I would say that with all of the, the online learning that there is now, it's not completely necessary, honestly. It's really not. If you can, if you can really, I mean, you have to be completely dedicated, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, to to be like, you know, this is what I want to do with my life, <laughs> and yeah. because it's constantly evolving, you constantly have to learn new stuff, and you know, it's it's a profession. Um, so yeah, I mean, college isn't completely necessary, but it it can it can definitely help you out if you go to a good one. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. Now, when you got out of college and you saw that everybody else was doing all this advanced stuff, did that demotivate you? Or was that kind of like motivation to be like, I got to go learn all this stuff and get on their level? So I kind of started realizing it my last year. So I went to a full year, like a um, year-round college. So I was done in three. I got a bachelor's in three years mm-hmm. instead of four. And my third year, I was like, you know, looking at everybody else's stuff online and I was like, my, just, my stuff just isn't up to snuff, you know, with what, you know, the projects that our, my professors gave me. And so I started doing my own personal projects. And that's really where, you know, I, I learned what I needed to, to to get my job straight out of college at contracting for Epic. Um, and, you know, I was messing around with uh, UDK because Unreal Engine 4 was like so new that there was barely anything on the Internet about it at that point. Um, so I didn't even know about it, but it, it helped me get my foot in the door at, at Epic to to be able to work there and get the experience that I did and learn the new engine because the engine was basically brand new when I started working there. So um, it helped out a lot. But I would just say, like, you know, if you if you are in college and you know you're kind of realizing that your stuff isn't as good as it should be you're just going to have to put in a lot of time and figure out okay what are these people using that i'm not what are these people doing that i'm not and and just you know raise your quality um and by practicing doing projects uh, on your own time because you know people that all the people i know that that um you know, they only did like the bare minimum for class. They don't work in the industry. Um, you have to wow. put in the extra time. Well, that makes sense, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to be like, I want to do game development. You'd be like, ah, kind of though. I feel like if you're like, I'm gonna do game development, you have to be all in. Yeah, definitely. It's not yeah. like because you're not guaranteed, you know, a job. Like, you know, if you go to nursing school, you know, everybody needs nurses everywhere. So. You know, and you have a paper that says you are a certified nurse. Well, I have a paper that says I have a bachelor's degree in game design, and that's it. Like, that's not going to guarantee me a job anywhere. Yeah, it really doesn't. Uh, You know, and because when you're, you know, a nurse or something like that, like, there's no portfolio. There's only a resume. You know, they're not looking at how good is your work and, and, you know, what you've released and stuff like that. Um, So it's almost like having... You know, like all these extra layers of of expectations for, you know, future employers and, you know, that they have all these extra expectations. Like you, you have to know all this stuff and, and your work has to be good before they can, you know, even consider you. So, um, and I mean, you know, obviously, if, you, if you're going in for an entry level job there, they'll be willing to teach you a lot, but it still needs to be good enough to, to for them to be like, OK, they have potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's key. When you originally went to college, were you wanting to work for somebody, or did you kind of always want to do more of an indie studio? I always wanted to work for somebody. 
honestly. Um, I never, I never really thought that I would be doing indie game stuff. Um, and I used to n- honestly not really like indie games all that much until, you know, me and Taylor started working on stuff ourselves. And I was like, you know, these people with 200, 300 team, people teams, they, they got it easy. You know, right. they, you know, they, they can spend a month on, you know, one little section of an environment where we have a month to do, like, literally everything. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. it's a big difference in mindset. But, um, you know, after my team split at Epic and I wasn't on the, I wasn't on the content creation side of things, it just, everything went south and, you know, we kind of parted ways and... Um, that that kind of changed my mind of, you know, like I, I got to keep working, you know, and bettering myself. And the only way I know to do that is to just do it myself because nobody else was giving me any options, you know, any opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just just because, um, you know, you're if you're a student or a gra- recent graduate and you're like, oh, well, nobody's uh, nobody's. You know, nobody wants to hire me or anything like that, and you know they just stop working on stuff. It's, it's not a it's not a good excuse. Keep working on your stuff. That's the only way you're going to get better and and be able to get an opportunity to work somewhere. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, no matter what's happening, you have to keep upgrading your skills. Got to keep taking courses. Got to keep meeting people. Just got to keep yourself updated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would. I would honestly say that meeting people isn't even as important as a, as a lot of people say. I mean, I, I know that you guys might think that this is crazy, but it that's just kind of how it's been for me. Like, I've met a lot of people, and, you know, when I meet them, they're all like, oh, yeah, we should work to, you know, do all this and that. And then, you know, after that, I'll email them nothing back ever. So, you know, <laughs> people, a lot of people are all talk, and, and you know, nothing ever goes – actually comes of anything that you know when you talk to them so um. <laughs> no, I, I can relate to that a lot a lot yeah. of things I, it's just people you know some of it i get it it's just you know you thought it was a good idea and you wanted to move forward with it but it didn't happen but a lot of it's just like just talk talk or yeah. nobody's got anything to do really and it's just like you know well we could do this but it's like do you really want to do it no no not really yeah. But no, I, it's it's even yeah even with meeting people, it's like you still have to know what to do. So even if you find somebody, hey, he works at the studio, and you know, hey, give me a job. It's like yeah, cool. But once you get here, you're gonna have to know how to do your stuff. Uh, I yeah, can't guarantee sure. you anything. Yeah. So it's you gotta know your craft before you meet the people, and then even then, it's like you gotta meet the right people. But more or less, right. it's just about no, like showing off your skills to people and proving that you can actually create the art that they want, or the programming that they need, stuff like that. Yeah, and. I mean, just meeting one person isn't isn't gonna help you get the job all that much because I mean, you know, just them saying like, "Oh, hey, I know that guy." I mean, that they're probably not gonna be part of the hiring process. So, mm-hmm. if, especially yeah. if they're an artist. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that they would be, you know, would be like an HR person and and maybe a lead, like an environment lead, maybe mm-hmm. involved. I mean, especially in the selecting candidates part, but. Like as far as face-to-face interviews and stuff like that, I'm I don't know if they'd even be involved. Mm-hmm. It would probably be more of a producer. Or, I'm I honestly don't know a lot about that, but I, I just know that you know it. You really just focus on good work and put it out there on social media, LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, stuff like that. Use the right hashtags and everything, and people will find you. It, it's not. You know, people with real work will find you. you. Like, if you go out trying to seek people out, it usually doesn't work. Right. You build your portfolio so, and put it out there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what was it like releasing this uh, Spirit of the North on a PlayStation Store? And then what was the reception like when you released it? And why only PlayStation? Okay. I have um, a lot of questions right now. <laughs> <laughs> so... What it was like to release on the store? Uh, I can sum it up in one word: it was hell, um, because the publishing process is ridiculous. It's you know, it's like it's almost like it's something from the '90s. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. 
whatsoever unless you're the person that came up with it and um i mean you have to submit builds like it's just it's ridiculous honestly and to get support you have to put in tickets and then wait and then get and you know reply and then wait and then you know it all depends on how busy they are and stuff like that and if you don't have a good account manager then they're you know all you have is the ticket support which is kind of what we have um <laughs> it was really difficult being you know going through that for the first time and it's not like there's a tutorial on youtube that goes through the steps of how to release a game on playstation you know go through the publishing because you can't release any of that it's all nda um right and yeah it's just it's difficult it really is because th the further you get in development the less tutorials and walkthroughs you're going to find as that's i've said that for over a year now the further you get to releasing is you're going to find less and less information about what you need mm -hmm. um and it's frustrating and uh, when we released the game well actually i should back up a little bit um so like a day or two before the game came out one of the reviewers that we sent code a code to he was like hey um there's a really bad bug in the game where if you press square on the last uh chapter you fall through the map and i i didn't really believe him i just thought he was doing something weird and then like the day the game came out actually taylor did confirm this when he played through it before the game came out and then i was i was um sleeping in my office like i had a pallet on the floor made up because i was sleeping in my office waiting for replies on how to do a patch because we didn't know how to do one and i mean it took like it took 30 minutes to fix the bug it took like three days for us to figure out how to make a patch dang um yeah it was Who'd you have to message was that playstation themselves yeah i had to I had to make a ticket and and ask them you know how do you do this because it's you have to run a different set of code to for you know through unreal to get it to generate a patch package you know it's a different kind of package for a patch and then it wasn't even ended up not even being the right kind of patch that we wanted so but it fixed the problem temporarily at least um so it it's it's very very confusing and i hope that it's easier for playstation 5 because honestly they just can't keep it's it's like they they were like oh we need this system in place we need this system and they just like tacked on all of these extra things mm -hmm. that don't flow good together and it, it it makes way too many steps for any regular person to to you know figure out on their own um and support isn't all that helpful uh, a lot of times like i i had to go back i mean probably a hundred times now and say please tell me exactly how to do this like step by step <laughs> because they would just give general specifics but and you're like i don't know what that means yeah i have no idea what that means like stop mm -hmm. using acronyms <laughs> yeah, just tell me. Give me someone on the phone. Let's fix this now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when before we released and everything, there was all there was you know great reception for the game, and that honestly kept us going. When we re released our first debut trailer in in 2018, you know it got so many views. We were like, you know, wow, people really are interested in this, um, mm -hmm. and it kept us kept us going through the hard really hard parts of development which was the last year getting everything polished and and released um and then when the game released we had a lot of good feedback um i mean so, some of the first reviews were a little harsh but that was because of those bugs that i was talking about but we ended mm -hmm. up getting it patched out within like the first couple days yeah um and then the reviews seemed better after that but all of the user like reviews have been pretty good so far i think we have a eight Point zero on Metacritic user reviews, and we didn't get enough um, critic reviews to get a score yet. But um, I think that we, I think that people like the game, which is really good because you know, obviously, I don't want them to not like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you got eight point one. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what was the third question? I can't really remember. Why did you start with PlayStation oh. Four? Okay. Instead of so, just like a Steam or whatever, right? 
Yeah. Um, so when we were at that conference, um, that really was a tipping point for us to decide to make our own game to start developing it. Um, there was a guy, the, the CEO of Limited Run Games. They they make um, physical copies for games, um, like small amounts. He, he had a game studio before he started that, um, and he was like, he told he told us basically go straight for a console. Don't don't just don't do Steam. Like if you want to get noticed, go straight for a console. And luckily, I listened to him because it really helped us get noticed. We, you know, being able to put our trailer on the PlayStation YouTube and stuff like that. Sure. Um, we never would have been able to generate that much. You know, even probably by paying for it. Um, you know, they have like nine million subscribers on their YouTube, and it it helped out a lot. Um, you know, just doing Steam, we we wouldn't have been able to get the same kind of um, audience. I don't think. That makes so, sense. And and also from a logistical standpoint of just being two of us, this being our first game that we've ever released and published ourselves, I knew that there's probably no way that we would be able to manage releasing on a bunch of different platforms at once. Mm -hmm. sure. And I'm glad that I made that call because it, I mean, it was down to the wire getting the, the builds through QA and everything for the release date that we had. Um, yeah, I mean, the I think our... American version was, you know, it was done and through QA and everything like a month ahead of time. But then like our our European version had like one little thing wrong with it and I had to resubmit and it was like a week or two before, I think it was like two weeks before the release date that it actually got passed to be released. So it was down to the wire in every way. Um, and there's no way we could have done that with multiple platforms. Sure. Yeah. Nice. So actually, let's go into the game itself. You have okay. like a little small like summary about or the experience of the game. Um, so the Spirit of the North is um, it's an adventure game where there's no dialogue or narrative uh, given to the player. They are just left to go through the game and, and figure out like what happened in the past and you know um, just taking their surroundings and things like that. You play as a red fox. Um, he has no, you know, he he has no um, idea what he's getting into or anything like that. He's just kind of roaming around and he stumbles upon the the spirit of the north that's hiding in a cave and you. Um, just sort of follow the spirit of the north, and you know they you go on kind of an adventure together. Um, and it has a lot to do with uh, mythology and and um, uh, folklore from um, the Netherlands and Iceland and stuff like that. And it was all very heavily inspired from that. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I would say that it's um, a journey-like game, uh, it, Journey, Abzu, that kind of game. If you like those, then you definitely would like our game. I think. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. And there's a lot of puzzle solving. Yeah, there's um, yeah, there's some there's a lot of puzzles in the game. They're not super hard, so it we made it. We wanted to make it so that kids could could you know beat the game as well. Uh, oh, we didn't you. want to make yeah. it like really hard, so. Sure. Okay. Nice. Now, what was the most challenging part about making this game? And how come? The most challenging part was definitely the, um, just the getting the builds done. Um, well, getting, yeah, getting the builds done, you know, to submit and, and all that because of just all the things that we had to do that we didn't know how we had to, you know, we had to get our that cons uh, our consultant Max to help out um, with all that stuff and and 
the the polish phase of the game was way longer than we ever expected it to be like trying mm-hmm. to fix as many bugs as possible and and just add like that extra layer layer of polish to everything really took way more time than we thought like i have a lot of footage from um like late 2018 I have some from even 2017, and you'd be like, it's crazy how much we had fleshed out already, but like, it just didn't have that layer of polish, and mm-hmm. like, it was just missing so many things. I mean, we didn't have a, the, a proper save system until early 2019, so uh, you know, it just we we didn't have all that in place. It was it was really. Um, you know, like all the levels were separate, and we had to like, you know, make sure that you could load into each all in, into all of them, and you know, it was just very a learning experience. You know, we 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 tried to look up stuff and be like, okay, this is how we're supposed to do it before we started doing things, so that we didn't completely screw up. But <laughs> there was still a lot of stuff we had to go back and and refigure. No, I bet. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you were? Getting stuck on everything being like perfect and not moving forward. Yeah, we we got to that point in uh, probably around February, I think, of 2019, and we were just like, we've got to stop adding stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> everything we add inadvertently breaks something else mm. because that's just how it is, and. Um, you know, any, no matter how small it was, it would have some inverse effect. And we were just like, we have to stop adding stuff. We have to just get all these bugs fixed and, and release the game. You know, that we can't spend any, we can't spend another year developing this because, you know, we're running out of money. So, um, and I mean, we wanted to release in, in the summertime, but it just didn't pan out because of how many bugs that we had to fix and how many things that we had to complete, um, you know, like the save system and, and all of that, like had to be completely working. And it, it was just a lot, um, honestly, a lot to do. And thankfully it worked out. Yeah. I mean, 81 is a really good score. And most of the uh, critics ones were good too. Did you follow a design document? You talk about like scope creep and stuff. Did you have kind of a formal document or just kind of wing it as you went along? Um, So we had to, when we presented the game to PlayStation, we had to have a design document. And um, we didn't have one before that because we were just kind of figuring out what we wanted the game to be. Um, And I, I made the decision early on that we should get you know, approved by PlayStation as early as possible. And, um, but making that design document did help us out uh, quite a bit of figuring out like, okay, what is this story going to exactly be? What, what are we calling these things? You know, at least internally, so we know what they're called. Um, you know, like different objects and stuff like that. That way we're not using different names to try to describe stuff and, um, all that kind of stuff. It the design document helped out a lot. It, it we took like you know a couple of days just sitting there, you know, getting that as good as possible and including images because we were already to the phase where you know we had a lot of at least work in progress assets for everything. So we were able to you know put you know a thing of um, like important objects list and and have the like an image and then like a description of what it is and. Mm-hmm. It helped out a lot, I think, to sell it to, you know, PlayStation and, you know, for them to be like, okay, they have a, like, you know, they really are working on something. It's not just all talk. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are they looking for when uh, choosing if you guys are able to make the game for them? So, um, I was kind of worried about us being, you know, a new studio with no real prior experience uh, shipping titles. And so that's why we spent a lot of time on the the document and just fleshing it out and and not only for them but for us as well and um it you know we wanted to show like you know hey we we know at least some of what we're doing and um you know these these are our ideas and flesh it out as much as possible so that they could understand um what you know what was going on and um 
we did the same thing for uh, when we submitted. We made we basically duplicated our old game design document. We had to update it and change because you know a lot of stuff still changed this story wise between then and now. But we submitted had to submit one for Nintendo for the Switch um, like a couple months ago and. Um, you know, they, they accepted that, too. So, I mean, I think that being out on another console previously also helped. But if you're going to make a game design document, take the time and do it right and make it as thorough as possible. You know, with it, with images, at least work-in-progress images of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people understand how important it is for a game design document to at least get your message across. Yeah, and and a lot of people, when they try to start working on a game, like, the first thing they do is a game design document. And unless you, like, really are are really experienced in developing and designing games, I don't think that that is really worth it. I think that you should, you need to play around with, okay, what is the gameplay going to be? What's fun? Like, Mm -hmm. what, you know, you need to play around with your ideas and figure out exactly what you want to do before you start writing a bunch of stuff down. Um, which is what we did. I mean, we were months and months and months into development before we ever wrote our game design document because at first we were thinking it would be more of like, not a simulator, but like much more realistic, like you had to hunt and eat food and stuff like that. But then we decided like, well, that wouldn't be really good for kids if we were like, you know, goring animals. So come on. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh, Taylor has kids, and, and I have a kid, so I wanted it to be something that kids could enjoy, too, and, um, you know, not be, you know, grotesque and stuff like that, um, but still appeal to adults. You know, that there's a fine line there, and um, I think that we hit that pretty good. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Yeah. It's got this, like, eerie, like, like mythical stuff to it. You're like, oh, I want to check it out. What's going on? Yeah. Now, uh, this is something a little different, but like, what do you, how do you feel about automation in the industry? Especially um, in art. So, the the stuff about Unreal acquiring um, Quixel and stuff like that kind of, it worries me a little bit um, because there's going to be, you know, since everyone with Unreal Engine, that uses Unreal Engine can have all those assets for free, I feel like the marketplace is going to, you know, the people that make amazing photogrammetry assets for the marketplace, they're just not going to be able to do that anymore because it's not going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, we used a lot of asset packs for our game. I mean, we made a lot of the content ourselves, but we used, like, I mean, it was probably 50-50 asset pack content and, you know, our own original stuff that we made for the game. And... You know, we wouldn't have been able to make the game without it. Um, so it, it just—I think that a lot of it's going to really push the bar for what people expect games to look like, and more games are going to go at least semi-realistic mm-hmm. and not as stylized because because of all these new photo real assets that are being released for free. Um, it's just—it's a definitely. It's another one of those changing points, like from like when I was in college and when I graduated, like it was like I was on the tip of a changing point where everything was going from like hand painted texture stuff in Photoshop to substance painter and designer and stuff. And then now it's going from like substance, everything's made in substance painter, designer and stuff. And now people are using the, the Quixel, um, I can't remember the name of it, the thing that where you can like stack materials on top of each other and all that kind of stuff to to make stuff like this we're changing you know the the industry's at a changing point again Mm -hmm. and it'll be interesting to see what comes of that but i just hope that it doesn't interfere with um you know people creating original content um because i mean yeah rock's a rock but (laughs) you know you, you don't want every game to look the same with all this free stuff Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. I think it's just more of like you can use the assets to get you an idea and then you can create your own assets based on what you see with those assets that you bought. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, almost everything that we used, we modified heavily mm-hmm. because it had to be changed for PlayStation and, you know, also just for in the looks department of matching everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of optimization passes I had to do to get things running on PlayStation and um, lighting being mainly one of them, but a lot of it also being just try count on meshes and stuff like that. Um, we used a lot of the assets from the um, kite demo that I worked on, and the try count in that is just like huge. And <laughs> um, I mean, the I prob- the meshes are probably ten percent of what they were originally, because I you know I had to lower them down so much, um, but you know they still look good. So. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters, right? Yeah. So now let's say somebody wanted to get a job in a year or make their own game in a year. What would a learning plan be for them? And let's say they never did anything before. What would be your learning plan? Um, a game in a year or get a job in a year. Like to start. So let's say they wanted to learn everything in one year, and then after the year ends, they start making their game or start working at a place. What would you advise them to start, like, their learning plan doesn't have to be perfect. Kind of um, I honestly, I mean, th- this is just really rough, but I mean, most of the stuff that we've learned has been through YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you guys offer a lot of courses and stuff, and um, those were kind of not really around as much back when I was learning everything. It was more of um, digital tutors, I think, was like the biggest thing then. But their yeah, content were... was kind of iffy mm-hmm. um, at best. And so, I mean, I watched some of that because I had like a free subscription thing from college. But um, it was mostly through YouTube and just like I said, like playing around with, you know, working at Epic helped me learn everything that I needed to know about the engine or most of everything. And then you know, playing around with all the asset packs that people submitted, you know, helped me figure out modularity and um, and stuff like that. So it, I can't really say exactly because, you know, I wasn't just at home, you know, really trying to learn everything completely by myself. Like I had some exposure. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, invest in invest in some of these paid courses, like do your research on which ones are really good and just watch as many YouTube videos as you can. But then you also have to get into actual practice yourself. Mm-hmm. Like watching a video and doing it yourself is is still different. Um, you have to actually still do it. Exactly, so. yeah. Yeah. You got to take that leap and stop using the handicap and, and make the, your own asset without having to watch a video. Because a lot of people do that make assets from videos like oh i could do this and then you go like we'll make something else like i don't know how yeah it's like okay that's hard it's hard right yeah yeah that's that's what comes back to learning the fundamentals of how to you know how to model and stuff like that um if you don't know know the fundamentals then you can't effectively make things um which a lot of like you said like people will look at a, a tutorial on how to do something and they only know how to do that one thing. Um, you know, they they have to learn the fundamentals first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think some people never improve in their craft? Um, I would honestly say that they're probably just not dedicated enough. Because um, if you are dedicated, you're going to improve. And if you want your stuff to look better, and you want to get better. You know, you want a job in the industry, you want to make your own game, you want to do whatever. Your stuff's going to get better regardless, you know, because just putting in the time. And if if it you feel like it's not getting better quick enough, find someone to mentor you. Um, I did that for a student that went to the same college as me. Um, she actually helped with a few of our asset packs, um, the Victorian dining room one and the sci-fi pack. I kind of let her um, almost be like an intern kind of thing. And, you know, she worked with us and I, and I mentored her on, you know, 
okay, if you, you know, for Unreal, you need to do this. You need to, the assets need to be this, like, oh, the, that's too high poly count, you know, or your topology's bad, or, you know, just, you know, just mentoring her. Um, and then especially on, like, Substance Painter and stuff, she didn't know any of that. So, you know, I, I taught her all that stuff, and and then now she works at um, Red Storm, a Ubisoft studio, so as an environment artist. Nice. Um, yeah. And we actually we also had two other people that we mentored that were from the UK, and they got jobs, like, right after they did our, uh, you know, kind of mentorship thing. So um, I feel pretty, that made me feel pretty good that, you know, we could help people get, you know, make that final step into, you know, potential to realization of, of you know their potential and and being able to actually do good work to you know enough to get them hired somewhere mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree how valuable is feedback when it comes to environmental artwork um it's it's pretty important because you'll come to a phase where you know you've made uh like you know, five or six assets and, and you're, you're like playing around with, you know, all your materials, like trying to figure out like what looks good, what's too noisy. And, and you're, it really will mess with your head because you're sitting there staring at it so long and you need to have someone else's opinion. But I wouldn't just post it somewhere because, you know, people are, you know, it's the internet, like Mm -hmm. find somebody that, you trust their judgment and it's not just saying oh you should do it this way just because they like a certain program better mm-hmm. um and, and so that that's why me and taylor work so good together because you know the whole time we're working we're using a program called uh Gaiazzo, and it's just a, a screenshot and and video thing that like you know we take a screenshot it makes a link in and uh, like it uploads it to the service and then it makes a link and we just send it to each other. Like we're just constantly sending stuff like, what do you think of this? And like, or we don't even really say, what do you think of this? We just send it a picture and, and one of us is like, you know, the other's like, you know, make this like, you know, more red or make it like this. And it's just that back and forth between the two of us designing something that it makes everything better than if you just did it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, having having a second set of eyes, especially a second set that you trust their judgment, and they're not just going to you know make up a bunch of crap. It um, that just ends up being more work for you, just to be more work. Um, then that's really vital. So you know, finding someone that that can be like a mentor to you is, I would say, is pretty important. Um, especially if you're a, a person that's that's at that point where, you know, I know all the fundamentals, but my work just doesn't look like it, like, you know, these professional uh, people or the these entry-level environment artists. They, My work doesn't look as good as them, but I know all the fundamentals pretty well. Like, that's when you need a mentor. Um, you don't need to, men- you know, if you're still learning fundamentals and stuff, you don't really, you don't really need a mentor for that. That's just YouTube videos and, and like putting in the time, um, you know, pushing your work to that level where you can get hired. That that's when you need a mentor, I think. So, I think it's valuable advice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. What are some strange habits you have when working and that, that make you more efficient or productive? <clears throat> so I've always been. I have ADD and. Uh, I can't sit and concentrate on stuff for super long periods of time, even though I take medicine for it. But, um, like, when I work, it's like these huge bursts of energy, like getting, like, a lot of stuff done in a couple hours. And then, like, even even if I don't, like, say, like, hey, I'm going to take a break, like, I'll end up on Facebook for an hour or something. You know, like, <laughs> it distracted. Um and I guess it, you could say that that's kind of a strength, but it's also just a weird thing that that you know happens with me because because of my ADD and stuff like that. Um, so you know I have like these really big bursts of energy where I get a lot of stuff done pretty quickly, 
and then I goof off for like an hour or two. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I wish that t- Taylor, Taylor's the opposite. Yeah. He's like, he's like, um, super focused, like, you know, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., like, he's 100% on task, and I don't know how he does it, but that's how he is. He's a little bit slower at doing stuff, like, it's not, like, bursts of energy like me. It's more of, like, a, like, a slow, slower paced, like, getting everything done methodically, and so we have two different types of working, you know, types of work, work, um, styles. Um, I, I, uh, I sleep better during the day. <laughs> so I honestly usually wake up around 10 o'clock or, you know, like 9.30 and, you know, I'm working by like 10, um, since all I have to do is shower and come downstairs. Uh, but, you know, he, he's always like on the computer by like 8.30 and, you know, then like 5.30, oh, it's time to, you know, I'm done, time to get off the computer, no matter what he's doing. So he's much more like methodical in that way, like, you know, nine to five. And I'm more like lenient on like, okay, I have, I know I have these things to do and, you know, I can just, I just need a point where I don't have any other distractions and I can just, uh, you know, boom, 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 knock it out. And that's just how I am. I don't know. I've, I've tried to be like he does, do like he does, but I just can't do it. I've just accepted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know Amy it works. works. Yeah. Now, do you guys work at a studio or is it someone's house? So, um, Taylor lives in um, New Hampshire and I live in North Carolina. So, I mean, we don't live anywhere near each other. Um, we, I mean, we've obviously, we've, you know, flown up you know i've flown up there and he's flown down here and stuff and um but for like two like one or two years we hadn't even met each other in person and um you know we met working on that indie game that i said never went anywhere and it wasn't our project it was somebody else's but we really liked each other's you know work ethic of just being dedicated to wanting to do be in the industry and stuff and um we ended up, you know, then collaborating together with the asset pack stuff. And then, you know, once we actually met each other in person and, and stuff like that, we were like, okay, well, we should, you know, form a business and, and try to do this for real. And that's what we did. Um, so we don't live close. We, you know, we we work from home. But with with the Gaiazzo and, and, you know, sending screen, being able to send screenshots, jump on Discord calls and share screen all the time, it's not... You know, you don't have to live, you know, in the same place and be at a physical studio. I would love for us to be together at a physical studio. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. it's just fun, not financially viable right now. Like, you know, he's he's been having to do um, a seasonal job every every winter. Um, you know, just you know, because he's he's the bread maker for the family. He he, um, you know, his wife doesn't have a job, and you know, he gets all his money from that. But then during his off season that's when we get all our work done mm-hmm. um so and then and when he usually when he is doing his seasonal stuff i'm doing con like contract work you know to, to make some money but um it so it i mean it's worked out it's definitely not ideal and it's not how i would tell anybody to do it but it's kept us from being able to take from having to take out like big loans and to pay for development and stuff like that and being relatively full time on the project, um, so it ended up it ended up working out without us having to like deal with you know loans and all that kind of stuff. But it's definitely not it's not easy. No, yeah, um, no. In any way, so. Well, yeah, awesome! It's awesome yeah. for you guys for getting it out there and making your game your own. Yeah, thank you. What's the difference between amateurs and pros when it comes to mindset? Um, I would say an amateur has to look up, like before they even start, they have to look up how to do something or the best way. And then a pro already has, as soon as they look at something, say, you know, in their head, they're like thinking of how, how they would make it, um, you know, based on previous experience making things. 
like, you know, a model, for example. Um, I mean, obviously, a professional is going to have times where, you know, they, they're like out of their comfort zone a little bit, or they are a little bit rusty on, you know, making a certain type of asset or certain style, and they have to look up, you know, you know, or, you know, they know that some new software's come out and, the, and they need to look up that. That's, that's okay for a professional, but an amateur is going to look, you know, be looking that stuff up, like, from the get-go, like, trying to figure out how to make something. I think that that's the biggest difference is the professional is going to be able to, to get going right away almost 90% of the time, whereas the amateur is going to be, like, a little wishy-washy on how they would start looking up stuff and, and things like that. That was a great example. So now, we'll end this off. Uh, what challenge would you give for GameDev.TV students? It could be anything like go check out our game or make a uh, model or something like that. What would your challenge be? Um, well, I would say definitely go check out the game if you haven't. Um, and the challenge, I, I think, should be something more personal to them. I think that they should, you know, take, you know, give themselves like a month and mm-hmm. and pick a project that they are really excited to do, like a personal project. You know, like do like I said, make a mood board. You know, Pinterest is great for it, where you can just pin a bunch of stuff to a board and and you know, kind of narrow down what you want to make, and then you know, take a month or however long you want to set for yourself, and you know, push yourself to make as much as you can and get as far as you can, and. Um, and then at the end, you know, really focus on your lighting and your composition and stuff for your final screenshots or whatever you're going to do to put on your portfolio. Um, and, you know, that would be a really good challenge, I think, for people that are trying to get a job or just push themselves, um, you know, just a, a personal project kind of thing. It's beautiful. And now we'll hand the mic to you. Just before we do that, we want to say thank you for coming on. We want everybody to check out Spirit of the North on the PlayStation. We'll put links and stuff in the description. And then, uh, yeah, just you can do a shout-out, whatever you want, to leave with the uh, GameDev.TV students. We'll end it there. Um, I don't really have any particular shout-outs or anything. I didn't really think of anything like that before coming on here. Um, I'll just say, you know, thanks to all of our fans and everything, um, people that support us and you know, our family and stuff like that. Uh, we couldn't have done it with, without any of them. Um, and um, just for the gamedev.tv people, you know, the students, just uh, don't quit pushing yourself. You, you gotta, you know, you just gotta keep trying to be better and um, you'll get there eventually. You know, find a mentor and you'll get there for sure. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. You can find all GameDev.TV courses at courses.gamedev.tv slash courses or in the show notes with a 10% discount. Get started with your game development journey today.